Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Racing. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to this week's episode of the Clear the Shelf podcast. As always, my Elamasonary co-host Chris Racing is here, and we will be discussing all things Keepa. Uh, you see Chris laughing. I dug deep for for that adjective, <laughs> sir. <laughs> it's it's funny. Even our even Google Docs doesn't even know what you're talking about. It's like, I know. Mean, did you mean elementary? <laughs> right. Uh, but before uh before we talk about the the show tonight we, which i think we've actually got a pretty good one uh i do want to just plug really quickly uh the same thing you may have heard last week uh chris is raising uh funds for movember if you're not sure what movember is i would go look it up uh and his link is going to be down in the show notes uh but it is all about men's health uh men's mental health uh and it, one of the stats that is just crazy to me is, uh, and this is kind of dark, but it, it's the the suicide rate among men is five to one compared to women, which is is massive. Uh, and I I don't necessarily want to lay the blame on men necessarily, but you know society we kind of keep that stuff bottled up as as guys and um, and we we shouldn't uh, so. Uh, if you go and give a donation, anything you can, $5, $50, $500, whatever it is, if Chris hits $1,000, I'm going to match 50%, uh, so another 500 bucks on top of that, and uh, I'd love to see him get there. Uh, I'm looking to drop the 500 bucks, uh, so if you can, if you have it in your budget, uh, please visit the, the Movember link below. You'll notice the mustache on, uh, on Chris's face is coming in nicely. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I would really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Chris. That's, that's incredibly uh, generous. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So tonight we're going to be chatting Keepa, uh, and we're going to be chatting Keepa for two reasons. Number one, uh, my buddy Nate took a poll in, uh, in FBA today, which is a group of, uh, 50,000 plus people who are interested in selling on Amazon or are currently selling on Amazon. And he asked what the most important tool in your Amazon selling toolkit is, and Keepa ended up coming away with, with a larger share of the vote than I expected. Came away with 58% of the vote, uh, and there were almost 300 votes uh, that came in. Uh, and the second reason is, is a little bit of a selfish reason, but we did just release Keepa Academy. Uh, the links are gonna be in the show notes. I actually, uh, I'm waiting for keepaacademy.com to, um, uh, to get released, because uh, I did buy that, and uh, as soon as it is, then you'll be able to go straight to KeepaAcademy.com. Uh, but yeah, we want to talk about Keepa uh, because uh, it's just a really, really important tool. But before we get to that, we've got Jeff Schick Esquire, who's going to be coming on with us, uh, and we're going to have a little Amazon Law Review uh, segment. So, Jeff, what is going on, man? Hey, not much. How are y'all doing today? Doing fantastic. Yeah, I thought about this as I was saying it, but uh, since you know you're my attorney and you are an attorney, uh, and I'm using KeepaAcademy.com, I did get permission from Keepa, so there's not going to be any IP issues uh, using using their name or anything like that. They they said it's all right as long as we put a little disclaimer at the bottom that we're not affiliated. Awesome. Good job. I was going to suggest that you that you get that in writing. So yeah, I I, I knew it was coming, so I just wanted to head it off at the pass. <laughs> ah, awesome. Good work. Yeah, thank so, you. So, in so the today's, yeah yeah, so, go ahead, man. I was going to say so today. I know it's big on everyone's mind. We are in November, and it's uh, uh, as you can see, Chris voted today. I voted a couple weeks ago. Chris, did you go vote? Well, I. Oh, oh yeah. So, yeah, I did. So, I know Chris Rasick went and voted. I unfortunately I could not make it to a polling station. However, I did get my mail-in ballot dropped off at a polling location 
late last week. So absolutely, I voted. Awesome. Well, yeah. So, um, so yeah. Just you know, beginning of November always is interesting for sellers because um, you know, especially when you've got election years, pe- things are on people's mind, and then Q4 happens. And so, mm-hmm. for a lot of sellers, Q4 has already begun. For some newer sellers, they're just starting to experience it for the first time. But whether you're new or experienced, I really, you know, what I think we wanted to talk about today is how to avoid IP claims because you just the one word that people seem to have nightmares about. So we want to talk about how do you avoid it. So perfect. Awesome. What uh, I guess if you what is your biggest tip for avoiding an IP complaint? Ooh, so there's a couple. So one is doing your due diligence. There's no replacement for, you know, manual review of a listing you've never sold before. Um, And that doesn't mean your VA reviewing it. It means you reviewing it. You're the business owner. You're responsible for everything that happens on Amazon. So don't entrust such a vital step to somebody that's not you unless they do it better than you. But nine times out of 10, they don't. So we, so what that means in a manual review is, you know, before you send in product, you actually look at the listing, check the title check the bullet points, check the, uh, the brand name, you know, brand name is the most important attribute on the page. I like to say, because, um, you know, the most, the number one issue we have with, uh, product detail page related complaints when it comes to IP, uh, is when they're taken down, usually is the wrong brand name. Like, so, you know, you look at a listing, it says Nike kids, that's wrong. It would be mm-hmm. Nike if Nike authorized it. Um, same thing, you know, like if it's a Yeti tumbler and it says Yeti tumblers, you know that that's wrong because it's a Yeti if it's uh, if it's authorized by Yeti. Uh, one of the new things they're doing in brand registry is letting you replace that visit the blank store, you know, blank being the brand. I should say visit the brand store. They're letting you replace that with a brand logo. Mm-hmm. So if you see a logo at the top, then that means that that's a authorized listing that the brand has enrolled in that program. So you won't see the visit the blank store, but you'll see their logo and that's just as good. Those brand logos irritate me just a touch because they make it a little harder for IP alert to, uh, uh, to read the brand on the page. And so it, it gets a little frustrating. I, I bet. I was actually just thinking about that. I was like, Oh, I wonder if how they're finding that attribute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not the easiest. We, we figured out a workaround, but it's, it was not fun. Gotcha. That well, makes sense. Um, at least you guys found a workaround. So. So that's, you know, tip number one is really doing your due diligence. Look at that listing, look at everything about it. Um, and if you see any words like pack of three, pack of four, you know, two 16 ounce bottles, you know, something like that, really, that should be a red flag going up saying, hey, wait a second, I need to reevaluate this listing because that's a really good indicator that there's potentially you know, it, and I could be, to, you know, I, you know, this isn't for every listing, but for a lot of listings, it means it's not a manufacturer created listing. It's a multi-pack that may or may not be authorized by the manufacturer. And so if you have a, you know, and, and believe it or not, that can turn into an IP issue. It, it's a trademark on product detail page violation, mm-hmm. because if, if somebody goes to Costco and they buy a two pack of, you know, um, throw out some shampoo, whatever, you know, Crest toothpaste, you buy a two pack of Crest toothpaste at Costco. Well, that came shrink wrapped. It's got a manufacturer issued UPC. The manufacturer clearly is endorsing this, this behavior of the two pack because they made it themselves. So that belongs on, on, uh, on, on, on Amazon. But if you instead go and you find that, well, Crest only sells single tubes and someone's now created a four pack of Crest toothpaste red flag should go up because that means uh, Crest can go in or Procter & Gamble can go in there and file an IP claim against that listing because it creates what's called an affiliation endorsement or sponsorship. And which basically what that means is people think that it's authorized by the brand and it's not. And so we see a lot of uh, the Vori's takedowns centered around this, uh, this you know, false affiliation endorsement and sponsorship area when they're trying to get rid of unauthorized multi-packs. Interesting. So and that's see that that's interesting to me because that there are just so many multi packs on Amazon, yeah. Which I get. I mean, for the consumer, it's actually probably a good thing. Some people want to buy what just want to conveniently buy a four pack, a six pack, or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. So that that's fascinating. 
It's convenient, although I should say Amazon really wants people to get into volume-based pricing. So their mm -hmm. new multi-pack guidance really stresses that we, you know, basically, I think it even says in there, if I remember correctly, it says, you know, you know we should, you should utilize volume pricing if the manufacturer doesn't authorize the multi-pack. Hmm. So. Interesting. Are there any, are there any other kind of red flags that pop up for you on listings that people might not think about? Good. Uh, yeah. Great question. So I, uh, the other day I was looking at a listing with a seller, um, and he was showing it to me and he goes, uh, I got an IP claim on this listing and I can't figure out why and how would I avoid it in the future? And we're looking at it and it has two images, a front and a back photo of the product. And they kind of weren't very high quality images either. And he goes, I just, why is this, why did this listing get taken down? Um, and it was sent back up because somebody else had appealed it. Um, and that's why it was back up. And I said, well, uh, let's go to that manufacturer's normal listings. And we go and the manufacturer's normal listings have a plus content. They've got like six to 10 images that are really high quality, you know, lifestyle imagery, multiple sides than just the front and the back. And so we start, and I'm looking at, it, I'm like, so this is the difference. This is why, because this, this listing is trash compared to the manufacturer's listing, because if that's what their marketing department's putting out for their single pack, you know, they do the same for their multi-pack as well. If they wanted a multi-pack listing. So. Interesting. Interesting. Is, let me, let me go from another direction. Uh, and let's say that, let's say I'm a brand owner or maybe, you know, maybe I want to start doing PL or something like that. What could I do if, what could I do to keep people from actually infringing on my IP? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of scenarios. So obviously if you come up with a great product, you can get it like brand new novel concept and it's unique. You can get a patent. If you come up with something that's very distinctive, like, you know, think of like Coca-Cola bottle, you could get what's called trade dress protection. Um, everyone knows about trademarks because yeah, every back, you know, back in the day, the first part of any, uh, private label course was always, you need to get a trademark and here's where to go. Um, and then people also of course know about copyrights, you know, copyrights you are for images, photos, text, things like that. Okay. Interesting. So, and the only reason I ask that is one, I do on occasion, I'll have a brand or a brand owner reach out and want to chat with me because they just happened to, to come across IP alert and they want to see if they get their brand in, in, in it, you know, to try to keep people off of it. And that kind of stuff, I, I usually will say, yeah, we'll add your brand because I know that you're going to file IP complaints and, and stuff like that. But the other thing I've noticed is that a couple of, well, one brand that I have sold in the past, they started, they changed all of their listings and they added a branded pill carrier to their listings mm -hmm. to try to keep Amazon sellers from selling. Cause it was an easy product to get. You get it CVS, Walgreens, and any other place that sells supplements. And so they, yeah. they went in and, you know, added a little sticker to a, a really cheap pill caddy and, and, you know, try to keep people off the listing that way. So not the way that I would have done it personally, yeah. but you know, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that lately, especially with people and, you know, going into bundles and, and that's the other thing, you know, I'm always a big advocate when people are making bundles is get permission from the people that you're selling their products in there. Because, um, while many brands will not file IPs, like, so I'm not saying every brand out there is going to file an IP. Most of them won't, you know, or I should say many of them won't, but the, but if you want, if you want to make sure that your bundle is safe get a letter of authorization before you start selling. Because if you reach out to Crest and you say, Hey, I'm going to bundle your toothbrush and toothpaste with my, um, toothbrush holder. Are you okay with this? And they say, absolutely not. Well, now you've just prevented yourself from getting, you know, some people would say, Oh, that's now you're killing this idea. I, I look at the other direction. Now you're preventing yourself from investing a whole bunch of money in inventory and getting hit with an IP claim. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, you know, it's just two ways of looking at the same problem and okay. coming up with a solution. So, so we know, okay. So we know that kind of, that kind of permission is given at times. And let me, let me give you an example. I have sold, uh, I have sold multi-packs of those little travel, like toothpaste, toothbrush, 
Uh, and I think like maybe a mouthwash or something. And of course, they're all the same brand. It was Crest or Colgate. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, and so we know the, in the brand of that little bundle, essentially, that goes in a retail store was not Crest. It was like Dr. Teeth or I don't know, something really stupid, you know, but it's not a Muppet. you buy them. Well, yeah, I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you buy these at, uh, you can buy these at like Dollar Tree. You can buy them at Walmart, you know, all kinds of places. Uh, so we know that they got permission to be able right. to create that. So if I wanted to do something similar, but I want to do it on Amazon, uh, where should I go to, to reach out to people to be able to get that kind of permission? LinkedIn. Believe it or not, you're going to smart, you go to LinkedIn, you find someone, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a sales representative in the crest toothpaste division. You find people that are relevant to what you're looking for. Uh, by no means am I telling you to go find the vice president of North American sales for crest because he's not going to write you back. He would be the right person if you write, write you back, but he's not going to write you back. So start low. He might be the one that signs your letter, but it need, but you want to start low because, uh, you reach out to someone, you know, the, the low level sales rep that is, you know, commission based, that is interested, like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then they start, you've seen the dollar signs. Oh, I could, you can place bulk orders through me for this, you know, Crest toothpaste and I can get you the letter of authorization. Well, now we're no longer having to scour the shelves or online arbitrage for that Crest. We're actually able to buy direct from Crest with a wholesale account and we get a letter of authorization. So you kill two birds with one stone, get two benefits as well, you know, so. Nice. And you get I someone like on the inside working on your behalf because they're seeing the dollar signs. That's a great tip. Correct. Yeah, that is so, a great tip. Really try and, to, you know, try to find that person, you know. Yeah. It, I know, I know that sounds tough, but, you know, I mean, with a little bit of internet sleuthing and, and the fact that we've got Twitter and LinkedIn, it becomes a heck of a lot easier, number one. But number two, and something that I've been kind of relearning here lately as I try to get more and more into Twitter, uh, is just how easy it is to get people to respond because tons of people just don't expect a response. And so they don't reach out at all. Uh, and then when you're like, you know what, if, if I don't reach out, the response is, you know, null and void anyway. So I'll just go ahead and give it a shot. And I have been absolutely amazed at how many people will reply, respond, you know, read your DM and get back to you. It's, it's actually kind of, kind of crazy to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, kind of on that same thing, even big companies, they do respond to those you know, tweets. My, um, a lot of people know that I come from an aviation family and my stepdad just retired from Delta and he had a, someone on his flight that had, I guess like 20 or 30,000 Twitter followers and they were having an issue and they tweeted about it and the social media team saw it, reached out to flight operations, you know, dispatch who then sent a, what's called an ACARS message, which is like that little printer that prints receipts up. And he had a little receipt print up in the middle of the flight from like Atlanta to Los Angeles saying, you know, seat the passenger seated in five, a has 25,000 followers and is complaining, please meet them when they get, when the plane lands. And apologize on behalf of Delta. Wow. <laughs> wow. And so he had to go, you know, before they opened the door, he walked up there and, you know, he's on the captain of the plane. We, we want to just make sure you had to, you know, things went, were better for you. And if not, we've got someone here that'll beat you at the top of the jetway to take care of it. The situation. That's that. I mean, one, that is, it's cool. You know, I, I feel bad that, you know, the captain had to do that. You know, I'm sure that, I'm sure the guy with a bunch of stripes on his shoulder doesn't necessarily want to do that, you know, because uh, I'm guessing 30 years ago he was flying fighter jets and, you know, <laughs> now he has to apologize to somebody who is, you know, upset because his drink had too many ice cubes. Uh, <laughs> it's all part of the brand, I guess, you know, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is uh, interesting. Yeah, it is. Well, and I, I don't want to keep you the whole show, but any other yeah. any other things that sellers should look out for uh, for IP, uh, you know, are keeping themselves safe from IP complaints or or what should they do in the event that they get one? Uh, you know, what kind of things should they have ready for you when they when they reach out to you and ask you to handle it for them? So great question. So 
Well, I have a couple tips and then also the, of what to do. So for in terms of what to, to do, make sure you've got your documentation in order because, um, you know, like you have big things we're always going to need. We're going to need the email from Amazon so that we know exactly what's being asserted. They might, the person asserting the, the claim, whether it's trademark, copyright, might not even be the brand. So part of what our team does is we look at each claim and figure out who's actually the rights owner. Um, just before this, about you know, 20 minutes ago, before our, we started talking, I was working on a case where someone had asserted a trademark against a private label seller, except they don't have a trademark. And their trademark had been denied or refused registration by the trademark office. And yet Amazon still allowed them to file a false complaint for infringement. So, you know, but if we wouldn't have looked at that, you know, looked at that original email from Amazon that said, this is the trademark number being asserted, a lot of sellers would have gone into it thinking, oh my gosh, I've, I've got a problem. I'm in the wrong when in reality, this seller is absolutely not in the wrong. You know, this is a case of a bad actor on Amazon being mm -hmm. in the wrong. So, so having your receipts, having your emails, you know, everything together, crucial. Interesting. Was the, was the complainant, did they happen to, did their email happen to be like at 163.com or at qq.com? No, it's actually another lawyer, which makes it really <laughs> interesting because he should know better. <laughs> so now I have what, a call uh, into him. Oh, sorry. sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Oh, I have a call into him just to be like, did you actually file this? Because I'm actually concerned that it might not be him because he works for a big firm in Washington, D.C., um, or at least that's the email address is a big firm in D.C. And so it would be very strange for someone at a major D.C. law firm to be blatantly violating the law. Now, if you how is that how do you think that's going to play out? Like, is there any kind of is that just like. You, you know, you move the seller through it, you know, they don't have the rights, they don't own the trademark, just bullet dodged, or is there, is there recourse or, or so, how is that? Yeah, great question. So we're working right now, we're trying to get the seller um, to obviously to get the listing back up because it's going to be a good seller for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. We, that's, you know, first objective is get it back up as fast as possible. Um, second objective is that we'll probably take it to Amazon's attorneys and, and flag it as a clear case of brand registry abuse and ask that they, you know, take action against that person for, because they willfully and knowingly filed a infringement complaint for a trademark that they don't have the legal rights to. So they should not be on brand registry. Hmm. Nice. Interesting. All right. I have one last question and then I okay. will, I will let you go. Uh, so something that... I've always been curious about is I try, I try to be a little bit more objective because it's very easy as Amazon sellers to, you know, whenever you get an IP complaint or, you know, anything happens, Oh, Amazon's trying to screw me over. Uh, you know, it, it, it can become very personal very quickly. So yes. I really try to be objective, but I'm curious, what is Amazon's thinking with allowing things like uh, counterfeit without a test buy? complaints to go through, you know, and, and just passing that off onto the seller rather than there needing to be some sort of a vetting process or, you know, anything like that. Um, so I think part of it has to do with the fact that Amazon has an obligation to take down infringing contact as quickly as possible. So mm -hmm. if they require, if they required everyone to do a test buy before making a report, then there is a huge liability potential for them of counterfeit products. So for the FBA prime seller, um, it's not as it, it's it's not as good of an argument, but it's it makes sense. But for the FBM seller shipping from Shanghai, China, you can make that argument pretty well because then it could be three, four weeks of sales before you ever even get your product to be able to make that report. So they do it as a you know it's a as a way to let brands make valid reports that are you know based on a good faith belief now most brands that are abusing that are you know that's where we have an issue and we've even had issues now with some brands doing test buys and then filing false complaints when it's authentic product and those are really harmful for sellers so um i'm always a big advocate for sellers you know if you're going to get a counterfeit complaint we'd rather get a counterfeit without a test buy because mm -hmm. with a test buy is going to be much more serious with amazon um and so that's why it's it's 
it's definitely, you know, but I, you know, why Amazon does it? I mean, um, I'll give you an example where we dealt with a case once where I was contacted by one of the pet manufacturers that was a friend of a friend that I, you know, I sold all the pet shampoos. Well, this manufacturer was friends with that, that other one that I had been selling. And they said, we've got this issue. People are selling counterfeit products online at, on Amazon and they're, uh, it's killing dogs. Uh, we, and so they did a test buy, they sent it to a lab. The lab confirmed that the, the, the pills that were the supplement pills that were being sold, um, were designed to look like our client's product, but were not our client's product. And they contained arsenic, cadmium, and lead, which is why the dogs were dying. And so they, uh, so we took down three different, they had done three test buys. We sent those to Amazon legal and they took down those three people within a couple hours because we attached the lab report showing that it was clearly counterfeit within a couple hours, five more sellers popped up with newly launched Amazon stores that now said shipping from China. And this product is normally made in Dallas, Texas. So we sent that to Amazon legal and said the five brand new sellers, this product's made in Dallas and yet they're somehow shipping from China and our client doesn't distribute in the people's Republic. So, <laughs> you know, they allowed them to go ahead. Yeah. They went ahead and took it down because, Interesting. And, and, and rightfully so, because there's no one in their right mind that would be exporting products from Dallas to Shanghai and shipping them back to the United States. Yeah. That's interesting. Is it, that's, that's the kind that's the kind of thing. That's the reason why I really do try to take Amazon's uh, view into account when I'm thinking about this kind of stuff, because like, that's a huge deal. And unfortunately, Amazon has to, protect the consumer against the worst actors on the right. platform, because there are going to be scammers, counterfeit counterfeiters, you know, people who do bad things, uh, you know, and it, it sucks when good sellers get kind of mixed in there, but it happens. And there's just too many sellers to police every single person with different rules or things like that. So, right. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, two more tips. You asked for two tips. So I have to tell you the two more tips. One of them is to utilize, you know, services like IP alert. <laughs> There's my plug Thank for you. y'all's thing. Appreciate um, that. I'm, whenever clients ask, how do I avoid IP claims? I say IP alert. <laughs> so I send them to there. Um, tip number, I actually have three tips. Uh, tip number two is if a brand tells you, and especially during Q4, if a brand says, remove your listing or we're going to file an IP claim against you on Amazon, I would close the listing and talk to an attorney you talk to me talk to my team we can actually help you get through the situation that may involve us sending them a cease and desist letter telling them don't file a false complaint against our client these products are authentic um and if and in and and at least keep the listing closed so that they can't file against you while we work through these different scenarios because last thing you want is you know i had a seller a couple weeks ago, he gets a cease and desist letter says, you know, you have 24 hours, we're going to file a counterfeit claim against you. Is that brand in the wrong? Of course they are. Um, and I said, he goes, well, I have a first sale doctrine right to sell through this product and I'm going to sell through it. I said, okay, but let's talk numbers here. How many units do you have? I've got five. Okay. How much did you spend on each one? I spent $15. Okay. All right. Five times 15, decent amount of money, but not this is not, you know, breaking the bank money. I said, and, and what's the profit about $4 per unit. Okay. 20 bucks. All right. So we know our, our upside is 20. I said, so if they file, um, these IP claims against you and it was multiple ASINs cause it wasn't five or just one unit. It was multiple ASINs. I'm like, so if they file, you know, five IP claims against you and it shuts down your account. How much profit do you make in a day? More than $20. <laughs> so you know, it made the analysis, you know, when he put it in dollars and cents, it made sense for him to, to decide to close that listing while we came up with a new strategy. So. Oh, that's, that's good. I like that. Yeah. That's something I don't think a lot of people necessarily do right off the bat. Uh, yes. you know, it's closing the listings, not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. Right. So close it and then figure out what to do, you know, and then other strategy to avoid IP claims is Keepa. Um, there, you can actually look at Keepa graphs. And if you see that it's going from, you know, 50 sellers, I'm sorry, my cat's playing with a gift card that he just knocked off the counter. <laughs> um, if you see that it's going from 50 sellers to two and then 15 to two and 25 to two, and it just keeps going, you know, up and down, up and down, 
that's a good indication that there's something going on. So I'll, uh, I'm sure you guys will cover that more. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me, okay, sorry. I I'm, I can I can keep asking questions all night, but I'm going to ask one more. Okay. The uh, so how often do you see brands that become hot and heavy on IP complaints? So for example, uh, it cosmetics. They they used to be really really bad, and I think they I think they might have gotten in bed with like e-commerce or something like that. Uh, they don't seem to file IP complaints anymore. Uh, and then Starbucks went really hard for like a month and then they stopped. So how often does that kind of thing happen? And does it happen because they get lazy or they don't think it's worth the money or, or what's the reason that they start and then stop? So they probably start because they've heard some some video that tells them that they can use, you know, brand registry to police the platform, or they sign up with some marketing agency that set, that, you know, believes that they've solved the, the Amazon problem and right they points. file false, yeah, file false IP complaints. And, and then why it usually stops, you know, I, you know, this is pure speculation. I don't work for any of those brands, but if, why does it stop? It's probably comes down to one of two things. It's either money or effectiveness. So money, because they're paying somebody to just go and zap people all day long, and they may find that that's not effective. Um, you know, some of these big companies actually will do the analysis. Oh, we zapped all these sellers and then our sales of merchandise went down. Go figure. So then they, you know, so they'd stop, you know, they, they will run analyses to see. Um, it also can be, you know, attorneys, you know, like myself getting involved where we send letters to the legal departments and say, this is what this company's doing. And I've actually done that, you know, I've done this where I had one of the brands, I sent a letter to their general counsel, you know, explaining that they had someone on their team that was uh, filing false counterfeit complaints against sellers and that we've reached out to them and that they were providing basic, uh, you know, very, you know, uh, uh, you know, smart, smart remarks back. Um, to me explaining why they weren't going to retract because the seller was a quote unquote scammer because they did arbitrage and things like that. And so I said, I forwarded this to the general counsel and I said, you know, you, your marketing person set up a very nice, you know, case here if we wanted to take this, but I think it's time now for you guys to step in and the general counsel, and this is a fortune 500 company, a huge company. Um, and they, the, he wrote back, I used to even say fortune 100, you know, it's, it's big. And they wrote back and they said, we're so sorry that this happened. Um, we didn't even know that our marketing in person was doing this. In fact, he's just an intern and, uh, he, uh, we have since deactivated his brand registry privileges and re retracted all of these complaints. We apologize for the inconvenience that this caused. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So many, so many, uh, so many rabbit trails we could go down with this, but I, like I said, I don't, I don't want to keep you all night. We, we may need to do an episode, like just get you in here for an hour and just sure. answer IP issues and, and complaints and all kinds of stuff. Cause, uh, if I threw, if I threw this out to like our small group, I bet you I could probably get 20 or 30 questions to throw at you. So. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. All right. Uh, if I'll tell you what, before you go, if you need uh, or want Jeff's help or or a little bit of peace of mind, I know that it, it does help me sleep a little bit better at night knowing that Jeff is a, a text message away. Uh, you can head over to jeffschick.com. Uh, he's got a program that's it's only $89 a month. Uh, I would imagine that a lot of you spend more than that on coffee. Uh, every single month and uh and it really does give you peace of mind and jeff i appreciate you taking the time for uh, uh to come on the show and, and chat a little bit man thank you very much appreciate it y'all have a good evening hey guys wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening to the clear the shelf podcast my magnanimous co-host chris Rasick has put together a gift for you for being a listener it's called the monthly goal tracking spreadsheet and it's free the spreadsheet will help you break down and track how much you've purchased, which should be a leading indicator of how much you will sell. And then you'll be able to track how much you've sold as well as your estimated monthly profit on a daily basis. This will all feed into the daily averages so you can ensure that you're on track to meet your goals each and every month. Grab it for free today over at cleartheshelf.com forward slash goal 
tracking. Thanks again for being a listener. Now back to the show. All right. Now that we are finished with the Amazon Law Review, we do want to dive into Keepa and uh, because it really is one of the best tools for Amazon sellers. I, in my opinion, I would imagine that after your Amazon Seller Central account, like Keepa is probably the very first thing that that you should buy and uh, and learn how to use. I, I think it's it's that important, and that doesn't matter if you're wholesale, uh, if you're arbitrage, you do an OA, RA, whatever. I would even say that you could probably use it for some private label type stuff. It, I, I, I don't do any private label, so I can't say for sure, but I would imagine there's some data there that could be helpful for PL sellers. Um, and so I figured, I figured in this episode, we could talk about some myths, uh, that are out there. Uh, there's one very pervasive myth that, uh, uh, I've even made videos about that I, I just, I cannot believe that people uh, still believe this and, and listen to people who say that it's true. Uh, and then, I don't know, I kind of want to get your take on like how you use Keepa and stuff like that. And, and maybe we can kind of riff on that a little bit. Uh, so let's chat, let's chat Keepa myths first. And, and I'm going to say the one that irritates the heck out of me. Okay. <laughs> Sales rank drops do not equal sales. Hard stop. Um, I I made a video about this not too long ago, and it actually it uh, it got more views than I expected it to. As most of my videos don't go over you know five six hundred views, uh, but this one jumped up to like a thousand views really really quickly. Uh, and, and there were some people who were like, well, that's silly. But in my, in the example, I, I used an example with a shoe that was ranked number three in all of clothing, shoes, and jewelry. And the sales rank drops per month on average were nine. Okay. And then the second example was an item that was consistently ranked around 300,000 in the spring sports and outdoors category and the sales rank drops on average for it were nine. It was exactly the same. And, and so I, I used those examples because it was obvious that the shoe is, is selling thousands and thousands of times per month. And, and this other item was not, it actually probably was closer to nine or 10 per month. Uh, but, I don't know. I don't know how better to explain that sales rank drops don't equal the number of sales. And I see it on Instagram. I see it on Twitter. I see it on, on TikTok. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who keeps telling people that this is the way it works. Yeah. I, you know, think about it. What's the highest number that you've seen at the bottom of a keep a dra- uh, graph? when you're looking at an ASIN, you know, I, I'm not sure I've seen more than, you know, maybe it comes close to 200 drops per month. You know, I, I mean, maybe there are some exceptional ones that, that maybe the ones I don't bother looking at, you know, but uh, everything like the highest numbers seem to be, you know, 170 drops per month, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, so if, if you're, you're taking it in a literal sense that, that keep a drops equal sales, nothing on Amazon sells more than 200 times a month. Like really, I mean, and, and how anybody could think that that's the truth, like definitively just take a, take a tour through different sales estimators, you know, like there's a a bunch of different sources and everyone's answer is different. You know, you could run one ASIN through, you know, run it through jungle scout sales estimator, you know, and, and it doesn't even register after a certain, you know, a certain ranking, uh, you know, all your tools, seller amp, you know, take your keep a drops, you know, take, uh, uh, I forget what some of the other ones are. I'm drawing a blank now, but all of these numbers are different. And oftentimes they're wildly different from each mm-hmm. other, you know? Um, that's why, you know, when, when I, um, you know, I dabble in, in with lead lists and that's why I decided to use keep drops as the metric, mm-hmm. you know, because sales, you know, estimations are, they vary so much, you know, essentially keep a drops is the only accurate thing. And, and in my opinion, knowing the, the, the level of variance, it's, it's essentially the only true 
measurement and as close as we can get to actual sales. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it's there's you know there's an interpretation, and and you know once you get something that that you know is flying and it's got a great rank, um, you know, like you were talking about before, like as the as the rank gets higher and and sales velocity slows, keep a drops or probably get closer to the actual amount of sales. You know, it's um, but as velocity picks up. You know, that's uh, I find keep a drops as um, a trusted metric, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, measuring a number that no one knows um, except for Amazon themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It would be amazing if they would release that kind of information. I, I mean, I understand why they don't. You know, everyone wants to sell the thing that sells, uh, you know, 10,000 times a month. Uh, and so. I would imagine that if they release that kind of information, uh, the long tail, which is where they probably make most of their money, would would get ignored a lot more. Right. At least that's what that's probably what I would do. You know? I, yeah, I'd sure. Say, it would have a yeah. negative effect on. We, I, I mean, we think we surmise that that Amazon uh, wants to have a, a large catalog. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're trying to balance as big a catalog as they can get with. <laughs> whatever their warehouse space is um, as they keep pinching us uh, <laughs> uh, on that end. But, uh, you know, but ultimately they want customers. They're all about the customer, obviously. And, and, you know, they want them to be able to buy basically anything they can think of on the platform. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So if, if the true numbers came out, you know, you may have uh, items past a certain rank, just, just chopped off and then nobody, very few sellers take an interest in it and stock. Yeah, it. Absolutely. Uh, any other any other myths that you can think of that are that have become pervasive about Keepa? Yeah, the the items that aren't ranked at all. Uh, you can get quite a quite a few different opinions on that. Um, I've seen <laughs> I've seen leads uh, distributed that uh, have no rank. Um, you know, so so and and talk to people. Some people would say, well, you know why would you even put that on a lead list? That, that is no, there's no value to me. That doesn't sell at all. You know, that people mm-hmm. think that, that, that losing a, a sales rank equals it doesn't sell. Um, it may slow sales. If it's type of thing where you're looking at a, you know, a year on the keep a graph or a three month segment and you see the point where it stopped being ranked as opposed to items that seem to, to never be ranked, never registered. Um, you know, you can you can actually see the point where it loses the rank. It did, you know, it obviously didn't just completely stop selling. You know, there there was something that that caused it to um, to drop out of the the ranking. But uh, yeah, but some people think that that's just you know just that that that's my cue to move right on past it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I find that's not the case. Um, you know, you can get. Again, like we're talking about with with keep a drops, uh, you know, not being a one to one ratio on sales. You, there's other sales velocity indicators, you know, based on the the number of sellers. You know, you, you can see certain movement in sellers. You know, if they're they're a bunch of jaggedy, you know, up and downs. Um, obviously, people are coming in stock and going out of stock, and and it, it has to be moving. So. Um, there, there is value in the uh, the rank NA, if you will. Oh, absolutely, and I, I, I wish that I wish that I could figure out like what the best number is. But I always like looking at the number of reviews, of course, for items that aren't ranked. Uh, and I, like, I know what I know what my seller feedback percentage is. It's like one half of 1% of buyers leave me feedback as a seller. Uh, I'm curious if it is, if the number is that low for product reviews. Uh, I, I would like to think it's a little bit higher because, you know, if people like to talk about what they bought, I guess. Um, you know, but if, if something, let's say something averages 10 reviews every single month, and let's just say that only one out of 10 customers leave a review well 10 reviews a month one percent reviews we don't really do public math here but um that's like a hundred sales per month so it's it's fairly easy to figure out 
if something moves or not, just based on the number of reviews. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same method you would use if you were looking at variations on a shoe or a piece of clothing to pick which mm -hmm. one you want to sell, uh, except for you get to do it for the whole, the whole ASIN. Um, and I know, I know people, I think people, most people know that. I just don't think that a lot of people are necessarily comfortable with making a buying decision when that's what they have to go off of, uh, you know, because, because yeah. then you got to kind of say, okay, well, do I use 1% or do I use 3% or 5%? Uh, you know, but really I think that data is just as good, if not better than sales ranks, uh, because at least you could kind of give yourself a number of, well, this is probably selling this number every single month. So, yeah, I should so. probably, we should probably do a study and pick like 20 or 30 ASINs and see how many reviews they get, you know, across different bands of, of, uh, sales rank. And then we could go out and find unranked items and then just test those, you know, by selling the, the actual products. That would be, would be kind of interesting. Sounds like a, sounds like an awful lot of work though, just to come up with some <laughs> content for a, a podcast or a blog post or something. <laughs> the podcast would move to uh, one episode per quarter. Right. That's, that's the effort we had to put in. Yeah. yeah. But that's, uh, you know, that's, that's an important, uh, that's an important point. Um, it is, you know, using Keepa to find alternate, alternate indicators of good products to sell. Um, and uh, I'll use this, uh, it's a rela it's related point, but it's an aside, but um, we were talking in the mastermind last night and um, you know, the more than, more than just one of us are, are worried about uh, price tanking comes up and, and obviously mm -hmm. it's, it's frustrated and, and, um, and being Q4, any, any issues um, are magnified, you know, because of the, um, how crucial a period of time we're in right now. So, um, you know, it, we were kicking it around and it, it, it seems like, and we've talked about this in the price tanking episode too, but it seems like there's um, more sellers and, and there's more thoughts of people willing to drop ROI faster. Mm -hmm. um, and for, for whatever reason, we've, we've speculated, you know, there are people who are 0% ROI is, is their minimum from day one. Um, you know, when, when we had, um, Dylan on, you know, he was, he's, he's cutting after 30 days where I was, mm -hmm. I, I cut after 60. And, and so obviously there's, there's different opinions, but, um, it seems like there's an emphasis on sell through rate, um, and, and just moving stuff regardless of profit, <laughs> not, you know, not completely in lieu of, but you know, it, it's, it's taken a back seat to simply the volume. So, um, so we were thinking, we were talking about ways we we're trying to brainstorm ways to combat this, you know, because it seems like the, the old fashioned, um, uh, methodology of either be the first one in and get your profit and get out or decide you're going to wait out, you know, wait for people to sell out and then get your profits on the back end, maybe a little bit later. It seems like this new, this new mind frame, this, you know, this, this new way of looking at it where you're, you're sacrificing profit quicker makes the profit on the back end take even longer. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it, it doesn't seem like waiting it out for people to go out of stock is all that feasible anymore. So basically that puts, uh, in, in my opinion, that puts a stressor on being able to continually find new products to sell. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I wondered out loud in, in the meeting and, and I'll run this by you uh, now, but I wonder if it's, you know, maybe the five to 10 unit test buy isn't necessarily a precursor to going all in on 50 to 100 units so much as maybe a way to combat price tanking and, and just the frustrations is continually refreshing the possible products that you can sell just simply getting as many profitable ASINs as you can you know and, and truly you know the true implementation of 
uh, a mile wide, you know, mm-hmm. essentially is. So I, th- I, I feel like it's more important to find more profits, which and that's how this relates to being able to use Keepa uh, and expand your um, your knowledge of it. And, and uh, what, do, what do you think? Does that does that make any sense to you? Yeah. It, so I, I like to think this is something I've been fairly consistent on. I I really do like a mile wide strategy. And I know that, you know, if you if you go out and, and listen to the guys on, you know, Instagram or whatever, like everyone's like, oh, it's you know, it's time to buy a hundred units or I I dropped ten thousand dollars on one ASIN today. And while while I'm like, cool, I think that's great for your business model. I just it's it's not a business model that I'm willing to do. Uh, for for that reason, one, I do think that there are more sellers, yeah, and that it's going to happen. You know, uh, Amazon's not a blue ocean anymore. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a red ocean yet. You know, but the water's getting a little bloody. You know, uh, and anywhere where you can make money, that's that's going to happen. It's just the nature of marketplaces and the network effect and, and all of that stuff. And uh, yeah weird guys like us who hop on, you know, podcasts and stuff to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, but the other thing is I don't know how sophisticated all the people who are coming in to Amazon are and do they understand what a margin is or, you know, do they understand, uh, anything other than, well, I've got an American express payment that's due, uh, and so I need my money back as soon as possible. Uh, and I would imagine that there's, uh, maybe that's one of the other reasons that I try to be a little bit more business focused rather than just all Amazon focused when I post things to social media, uh, is because I, I want people to learn to be business owners too, and not just, not just resellers. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of reasons. But again, that's that's why I'm a huge fan of the mile wide. One, you you need to be really good at sourcing. I mean, it's a it's a skill that can pay very very well. Uh, two, I think it is important that you're always finding new products. Uh, you you never know which what of those are going to turn into replens and make your life a lot easier. Uh, and then the other reason I like the mile wide strategy is because you do get to hedge your downside risk. Uh, you know, the person who spends $10,000 on one ASIN, well, if that, if that product tanks and they cannot wait it out any longer, they need to liquidate eventually. And maybe they only get 8,000 back. But if you and I spend $10,000 across a hundred ASINs, well, even if 20% of those tank and we can be profitable or break even on the other 80%, chances are our average profit is going to be a heck of a lot higher than the person who lost all their money on the 10,000 on one ASIN. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so maybe it's uh you know, an inch deep and uh, a mile and a half wide. Maybe right. Or two, uh, it's going to be a race to trademark that after this releases, right? exactly uh, an, an inch deep two miles wide so. <laughs> so but yeah but that's that's what makes this uh you know so important is uh you know if you, if you could especially if you know that there's a, a big big batch of sellers that are going to look past something like something not having a ranking and just dismiss it right away um there's an advantage there you know and and, mm-hmm. and maybe if you're looking in places that that a whole bunch of sellers are, are going to walk right on by you know maybe you can kind of camp out on, on some profit for a little bit longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you saw this, uh, this statistic that I threw up, uh, not too long ago, but I, I was curious about price tanking and it's been, it's been a conversation I've seen a lot as well. I know that you talked about it in your mastermind, but I, I do see it a lot of other places. I saw someone post a screenshot of a Lego, uh, a seasonal Lego product. Uh, that had 600 sellers on it. Okay. Uh, now it's a, it is a fast moving product. And when they posted the screenshot of this to Instagram, you know, where who a million other sellers could see what this was, it was still profitable at the time. Um, 
but I knew that eventually it's going to drop. You know, it's it's got to. Uh, there's no way the demand keeps up with 600 sellers. Uh, you know, especially since it's seasonal. But that made me think, well, how many products have increased in price? And so I went out and I did I did a little bit of digging. And Keepa actually can give you all of this information. But I went out and I said I wanted to see anything where the price over the last 90 days has increased from anywhere from 10% to 1,000%. And I also wanted all of those items to have a 30-day average rank of under 500,000 on Amazon. And there were over a million products that had increased in price over the past 90 days. Wow. Oh, and those were all products where Amazon was out of stock 100% over the past 90 days. <laughs> Even better. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised by that. I did not expect it to be quite that many. Uh, and I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, 500,000, you can't sell anything there. And that's not true at all. Uh, there are two categories I'm thinking of where stuff sells at those ranges quite frequently. Uh, tools and home improvement, home and kitchen. Uh, uh, and clothing and shoes, as long as there's not a ton of variations, you could still sell stuff at right. 500,000. Um, you know, but it... Whenever people do complain about price tanking, I, I, I do try to think about that because I don't think that that prices increasing is necessarily uh, just not just a seasonal thing. I think that is I mean, that happens all the time. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I know that our our Amazon law review went a little long. So our, you know, we were not going to get into everything that we wanted to get to about Keepa tonight. But one thing I am really curious about is what's an example of a way that you might use Keepa that other people may not even think about? Uh, I have been, what I'm, what I'm doing most of the time is, and it's funny that, that like I have, I think I've attended, every single one of your OA challenges since you started. I was definitely in on the first one and I'm not sure I've missed any of them. And I keep signing up for them, you know, mainly to go for the, uh, the keep a training, you know, because there's, it's going to jog something, you know, and, and maybe I'm just an idiot, but I, it's, it, there's so much to it. And I find all this cool stuff and I'll take, I'll grab a couple takeaways and be like, man, that is a great idea. I want to try that out. And I'll get a few reps in, but it's like, there's so many different things I want to try. It's spread out enough that I completely forget how to do them, mm -hmm. you know? And, and then I'm looking, you know, I got to go find the segment. I got to find the day, find the video or whatever. Or if I'm smart enough, I'll put a note, you know, somewhere and, and, and link it. But there's just, there's so much you can do with Keepa, um, you know, that I, I kind of, I kind of get the blinders on, you know, and, and, and just kind of dig in. But uh, uh, what I've been doing lately, the latest thing that I've got tunnel vision on is um, I've been targeting specific prices uh, for the buy box. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's uh, it's based on one of the videos that, that you put out. You, you planted that seed. Um, and I love it because you can. Here's a here's a, a pro tip for you. Uh, if you sell products that cost more, uh, most of the time you're going to make more. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's mind bending that's free of charge. <laughs> <laughs> Come back next week uh, for another tip. Um, you know, but uh, it, it's, it's so obvious, but you know, it, it's still something that as you watch it, it, you know, the, if you sell more expensive stuff, uh, the bars go up faster and everything, everything gets prettier, you know, and, and it, you get happier about everything. Um, so I, I'm kind of feeding that, uh, uh, feeding that. I, it's uh, the, the mouse with the button and the cheese. I, I'm pressing that button over and over again. Um, and I haven't got shocked yet. So, uh, but I, I like that. I, I like, you know, being able to hone into um, certain areas of the buy box, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and you can kind of, you can set corridors on where you want the rank to be and, and, um, you know, you can exclude categories that, that, you know, you are more than likely, uh, not worth your time and, and, 
but that's what I've been doing. Um, and, and I've been having a whole lot of fun and success with it. Yeah. Set it, I love, man, I love corridors. I love setting up corridors and finding those just incredible. I came across something the other, actually, while I was recording Keepa Academy, I came across a, a listing and over the past 90 days, the sales rank was super boring. It bounced between like 30 and 40,000 over the past 90 days. Didn't go below that. Didn't go above it. Like hardly ever. Uh, the buy box line was, I mean, just as flat as Kansas. It was, you know, it was insane. Uh, and the number of sellers was moving up and down. Like nobody was messing with the price. Nobody was going super deep. Uh, everybody was getting a turn in the buy box. It was like the perfect product. And so of course, after I was done recording the video, I went and did a Google search and sure enough, it was fairly simple to source. Uh, but you know, you weren't seeing 50 sellers. You weren't seeing two sellers. It was just staying right in between like four and seven sellers. Uh, and there was way more than one example. Uh, and that's, that's why I love, I love the corridors. It's absolutely my favorite. Um, yeah. but there, there are two and again, we went way over. So I've got an idea for the end the way we're going to end this episode and you guys are going to want to stick around for it. But, um, I have two favorite methods, I think for Keepa. uh, I think everyone knows that I'm a fan of rabbit trails. I, I like to start with, you know, one product and I may start with a, a Spider-Man toy. And by the time I'm done sourcing, I'm, I don't know, I'm looking at toilet cleaning solution, you know, uh, and you kind of just get there by letting the internet speak to you. But in Keepa, whenever you're looking at a product, there's a little button in the Keepa graph that says related bestsellers. And if you open that up, you're going to see 10 or 20 or 50 or a hundred of these other products that are related to this one product that you can then start looking at or, you know, thinking of. Uh, and so if you're looking at say a, a comet cleaning solution or, or cleaning powder, uh, in the related bestsellers, you might see, uh, a method bathroom cleaner and you might see a Clorox bleach or, but then you're going to see a bundle and you're going to see a, uh, a multi-pack and all these things that you can start thinking of that might take you down another rabbit trail. Uh, and so that's one of my favorites. Um, and then the other thing that I really enjoy is, uh, in the product finder on keepa.com, I like, I tend to stick to a couple of brands at a time. Uh, so like I might know of a brand that's having a really killer sale. Uh, and so I'll go out and I will pull up every product that that brand has, and I'll just reverse search every single one of them. Uh, but then the other thing I'll do is I'll go out to, uh, Google and I'll say, Hey, what are brands that are similar to, I don't know, let's say, uh, let's say Nerf, for example, what are some brands similar to Nerf? Well, the first one that pops into my head and, and Google also is going to be Zuru, Z-U-R-U, -U. um, which by the way, if you want an interesting business read, go look up how Zuru was founded. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, but you know, then you can pull up that brand and then it, you know, you can find another one and another and, uh, and you can go really, really deep on all of these brands and, and source, you know, every nook and cranny. And a couple of things happens in my opinion. Number one, you learn a ton about it. Uh, if you spend enough time sourcing it, you're going to find, uh, sales that happen frequently or coupons that happen frequently that you can take advantage of. Uh, and I think that's really, really powerful as well. Yeah. Uh, boy, you, 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 you change lanes a little bit into the SEO land. And, and, uh, I read a lot of that, uh, type of stuff when I study SEO, you know, like the using Google, like people also search for, yeah, you know, that's, uh, you know, you're basically using our own search <laughs> volume, you know, for our own benefit, you know, to find, because obviously, because Google, if you look in the right place or you just kind of pay attention, Google will tell you what the masses are also doing, you know, and, and it'll give you related uh, 
searches and, and keywords like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's, this is this is a little bit of an aside, but that's I think it's also I think being able to kind of mash those together. Uh, now, James Altucher has a term for it. Uh, I can't remember what he calls it, but, uh, you know, knowing a, knowing a little about a lot of things, I think is actually a, a net positive, you know, for, oh, yeah. uh, for being an Amazon seller, business owner, that kind of stuff. Um, all right. So I, I know that we went, we went long with, uh, we went long with the Amazon law review and Jeff, of course, and we could have gone longer. We'll get him back, but I figured what we might do for everybody so that they don't have to listen to us go on for uh, another 30 or 40 minutes is I'd love if you have a keep a question, I, I want to do a follow-up episode to this, but if you have a keep a question, send it in to us. And I think we'll do like a Q and a session on keep maybe for our, even for our next episode. Uh, and just try to rapid fire answer as many questions about Keepa as possible, uh, because I know that there are a ton of questions out there. So here's what you can do. Uh, you can leave a comment under this video if you're watching on YouTube, uh, or if you are listening to the podcast, uh, you can email me at chris at cleartheshelf.com with the subject line, uh, keep a question. Uh, and if it's okay with you, Chris, I'd love to next week maybe just do a keep a Q and a, uh, and, yeah. and try to answer as many questions as we can. Yeah, that'd be great. Cause there's, right. uh, there's so much to cover on keep. Yeah. Yeah, there really is. So, uh, shoot me an email, Chris at clear the uh, with subject line, keep a question or, or drop it uh, below. If you happen to be watching this on YouTube and next week we'll do a keep a Q and a, uh, where all we do is talk or is answer your questions about Keepa. Uh, and, and try to do as many as possible. So, uh, all right. I think that's it for this episode. Uh, thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in. Make sure to check out all the links below. We've got Movember uh, is going to be over pretty soon. I'd love to get that uh, to Chris's goal of a thousand bucks. Check out Keepa Academy if you want to learn a little bit more about Keepa. We've got a We've actually got a quiz that you can take to one, get a discount on the course, uh, but two, also just test your Keepa knowledge uh, a little bit. Uh, and then uh, three, make sure to reach out and let us know your Keepa questions uh, and we'll make sure to uh, to do an episode uh, with a Keepa Q&A. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. All right, that's it for us this week, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Appreciate you and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.